0: I love to read the comics. It's one of my favorite activities to do. And one of my favorite comics used to be Calvin and Hobbes. There's a picture on the screen behind me of Calvin and Hobbes. And some of you are familiar. How many of you are familiar with Calvin and Hobbes? Some of you are probably not because they stopped writing the strip, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. But anyway, in the picture, so you have a little bit of understanding if you're not familiar, Calvin is the little boy and he's got a stuffed tiger that's named Hobbes. Now, the stuffed tiger, he actually, uh, in Calvin's mind, is a real tiger. And he, he, has, he plays with him like the tiger's real. He has a real conversation with uh, Hobbes, and Hobbes responds. And so the strip that I want to kind of begin my message with this morning, share from Calvin and Hobbes are talking about the new year. And Calvin says, I'm getting disillusioned with all these new years. They don't seem very new at all. Each new year is like the old year. Here another year has gone by, and everything's still the same. There's still pollution and war and stupidity and greed. Things haven't changed. I say, what kind of future is this? I thought things were supposed to be to improve. I thought the future was supposed to be better. Hobbes replied with his usual wisdom, the problem with the future is it keeps turning into the present. There you have it, wisdom from Hobbes. The new year is traditionally a time that we take to reflect, We look back over the last year and we assess our successes and our failures. We are pleased with our successes, we have satisfaction, and we experience some disappointment, some guilt over our failures. But we face each new year with hope, usually, hopes that things are going to be different this year and hopefully better. But as Hobbes says, the future just keeps turning into the present. If we're not careful to allow the fresh breeze of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, uh, the future is not going to be full of new, possible, exciting things. Positive change and new growth, it's just going to be more of the same. It happened that two men were talking about one of their colleagues, and one said, did you know that he has 30 years of experience in his field? But his friend's response was, well, actually, he doesn't have 30 years of experience in his field. He has one year of experience 30 times. And the future kept turning into the present for this guy. So what do we do when we think about the new year? I'd like to say, first of all, that God is at work doing new things. That's what God's up to. We live in harmony with a creative God. God, We keep experiencing new things and discover that, that God's at work constantly bringing about growth in our lives and in others' lives. Growth is a principle, in fact, that God has built into his creation. He loves doing new things in new ways. In uh, Revelation, he says, See, I am making everything new. That's exciting. I think it's one of the most exciting things about knowing God is seeing that God is up to new things and having the hope that God is going to do new things in my life and in others' lives. The Lord spoke through Isaiah the prophet, and he said, Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. I am doing a new thing. What a thrilling thing to walk in an adventure with the Lord, knowing that Jesus is up to new things in our lives and in our church. And and how wonderful it is to know that God's at work in those ways. But letting God do a new thing in our life sometimes can be threatening to us. And even when we want to experience the new thing that God is doing, it's not always easy to experience that transformation. How many of you know what it's like to be determined and resolved that you're going to do some new things in the next year, and then very quickly you fall into the same old habits that you've been doing for quite a while, sometimes even the first day that you begin your new resolution? The problem is that we're soon overcome by our old habits. We forget our resolutions, and the resolution goes out the window. Turning over a new leaf, uh, it's difficult. And uh, a lot of times it's not a lasting thing that happens in our life. What we need is not inspiration. What we need is transformation in our lives. We need a change to our lives that comes only from God. And what every person needs is something that will permanently affect their life situation. Something that will truly satisfy the longings, the needs, the aches of this life. Something that's going to bring about true and lasting change. The second thing we need to realize is that only God can bring about this real change in our lives. If we're looking for that resource from within ourselves or out in the world, it's going to be hard to find. But we can't do it by ourselves. We need that something that's beyond us. That something is a someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. During his life on earth, he never encountered someone, and then that someone usually was changed in that experience. He affected them permanently permanently. They were either devout disciples or oftentimes they decided to become his enemies. But they were forever different. They either permitted him to help them or they claimed that they didn't need him. But to those who allowed him, he made new people. The change was so real and so permanent that often in those situations, he would give them a new name. We think about Simon Peter. He gave Simon a new name in the story that we heard this morning. His new name was Peter which means rock. So now think about Simon Peter. Now we know a lot about him because we we encounter him quite a bit in the Gospels, but we know that Simon was the one who would forget Jesus' teaching about turning the other cheek and he was in a moment of crisis and what did he do? He grabbed somebody's sword and he cut off the ear of a soldier. That's what Peter did. He's also the one who fled when danger came near and he denied his master with a curse. Jesus declared to call him, Uh, The Rock. He dared to call him The Rock. He knew his real name. He knew that Simon was not a a man that was actually a rock. He knew that Simon's reputation was he had crazy emotions. He was unstable, right? His temper flared at times. He was unstable. At times he had a hard time making up his own mind. His emotional reactions were completely unpredictable. A rock was the last thing that people would think about when they looked at Simon Peter. Peter. Everybody knew that his roller coaster emotions were his weakness and that Simon uh, was challenged by those things. But Jesus could look at Simon and he could see the weakness and he could tell Simon, hey, that your weakness in and through my transforming power can become a strength in your life. He knew that he could use Simon's fiery emotions uh, to change the world, to accomplish his actions in the world. That's what every man, woman, and young person in our church today, that's what we need, right? We need somebody who's going to be able to look beyond our weaknesses, our failures, our sins, and call forth in us a new thing in our lives and expect the best from us. Somebody who's going to believe in us. Somebody who's going to give us another chance. Someone who's going to call us by another name. That's the grace and the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives, that's what Jesus is up to. Only He has the power to turn our weaknesses into our strengths. Perhaps you're one of the people, those kind of people who criticize yourself heavily. You know you're more aware of your weaknesses and your imperfections, and you feel inadequate and guilty, and sometimes we're our greatest accuser. You feel that much of what you do turns out wrong. You have uh, had heard more of your uh, share of accusations. You've had more of your experience of failure than you'd like to. Here's the deal. If you're that person, Jesus gives you a new name. He gives you a new identity in Christ. Perhaps you're the one whom sin has dealt a devastating blow to your life and you still feel the consequences from some bad decisions. Maybe some of your family or friends experience some of those consequences too. You know, you live with some shame. People expect you to fail. Here's the deal. Jesus gives you a new name. Each of us needs somebody who can see a spark of good in us and is willing to fan that ember into flame. There's one person above all the rest of the people that can do that, and that person is Jesus Christ. He's aware of the good in you because he's the one who planted it there. He's the one who who says that you are made in the image of God. He gave you your life, and he wants to become a part of your life so that you can develop God's image, so that he can develop God's image in your life. Listen to these wonderful words from the Lord in Scripture. He says, You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You know, sometimes I'm amazed when I catch the overtones of people's conversations and I can hear them talk about how they they think of God as seeing them uh, in only the bad light. They believe that he's more aware of, of their failure than he is the good that is at work in them. And they think that God is waiting for something that they say or do wrong so that he can pounce on them. Please know that God is more concerned over the good in you than he is the bad. He's much more anxious about uh, helping to reward your goodness than to punish your evil. And many times while we're condemning ourselves, God is trying to help us realize his forgiveness that he's extending to us. The Bible says in 1 John, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Isn't it amazing to think about that verse? I mean, we condemn ourselves, but God knows more, even more than we know about ourselves. And yet he knows what he offers to us. A new identity, a new way of life, a forgiveness that only he can bring. He's calling us forgiven. He's using a new name for us. But all the while, we oftentimes keep insisting that our name hasn't changed. Some people have heard or maybe read the literary classic from many years ago uh, that Cervantes wrote uh, Don Quixote. Uh, I had the opportunity to read that book when I was in high school. I say opportunity because I didn't think of it an opportunity at the time, but I, I did read the book. It's got a great story to it. It's a difficult read, but there's a great theme that goes throughout the book. But let me tell you a little bit about it if you're not aware. Uh, the author, Cervantes, tells a story about how he, there was a time that he got thrown in prison in Seville and finding himself in the, in the middle of a band of cutthroats, He tries to divert their attention by telling them his story of Don Quixote, this man from La Mancha. And in the story, Quixote uh, pictures himself as a chivalrous knight. He goes forth to right all the wrongs in the world and takes it by storm. But the Don is a man who lives in a world of impossible dreams. His armor is shabby. His horse is um, sagging and broken down. He rides for his fair lady, whom he calls Dulcinea, Dulcinea means sweetness in Spanish. And I have an image of Dulcinea from a movie of this, of this book. But Dulcinea is far from a fair lady. She is really the, um, the prostitute in a county tavern. And she assures Quixote that she's the most casual bride of the murderous scum of the earth. And her real name is Aldonza. And she actually resents Quixote's intrusion in her life and screams at him saying she's no kind of lady but the dawn persists, and he says, and still, thou art my lady. He has this illusion that, that he can see beyond what she really is, and he believes in her in a way that she doesn't believe in herself. But however, uh, when he says, when he looks at her, he says, I can see heaven when I look at you. And to which she replies, that all she can see is a dream that's covered in rust tin. And soon Don Quixote's family tries to make him face reality. They don't think he's living in reality. And so they oblige him to see the world as it is, and they shock him into reality. And as they begin to succeed in the story, Quixote's health begins to fail, and his spirit begins to break. And he's at the point of giving up his impossible dream. But just at that moment, Aldanza comes into his room, and she looks at him with grateful eyes and says, You looked at me and called me by another name, Dulcinea. Aldonza had become a lady, her life renewed by someone who dared to believe in her and call her by a new name. There are many times that it seems like God is foolishly interfering with our lives, much like Don Quixote. He sees who we are and yet insists on calling us by another name. He dares to dream the impossible dream for our lives. We often talk about believing in God, but we forget that, 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 that God believes in us. He believes in our potential in and through Christ. He says he, sees, he, he is seeing, saying that he believes in us, but, but we often think of ourselves as failures before God and before ourselves. We yell and we scream and we flaunt our wickedness before him, kind of like Dulcimia did before Don Quixote, refusing to believe that he could be serious at all. But all at once we begin to wonder if maybe this could be true. Could God love me after all, in spite of my failures, in spite of my sin, in spite of the things that I've done wrong in my life? Could it be that my life could be different? Is it really possible that that the Bible is for real when it says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us? You see, that's what Christ was up to when he came to earth. It, through power, the power of God's vision, God could see the brokenness in our humanity. He could see the sin. He could see the failure. But he could also see what the potential was in his creation. And he wanted to redeem us. He didn't want to lose us. He didn't want us to, to experience brokenness and lostness for eternity. So Christ came. He could see what could be possible in and through God. God. And what about the verse when Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Could it be that our names have been changed? Could it be that that while we're calling ourselves failures, he's calling us friends? Could it be that God is giving us a new chance, a new lease on life, a new name, no matter how many times we failed miserably or we failed? The third thing I want us to realize this morning is that God's new name for us means a new beginning. It sounds unbelievable, but it seemed unbelievable when God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Abram and Sarai were uh, were childless; they physically could not have children. It was impossible. But God, at that moment, called Abram Abraham, changed his name to Abraham, father of multitudes. He made him a father of a nation. Sarai, he called Sarah, which means princess. What a marvelous and transforming imagination God has. How much, how much love God has in his heart for us. How powerful his spirit to take our failures and give us a future. How marvelous of God to take people who are headed nowhere and to give us a purpose to fulfill his plan for the world in the future. Can God really know all my faults and my sins and still love me that much enough to give me a new chance in spite of my failures? Can he give me a new name? You know, when people talk about other people, uh, they sometimes say that person will always be that way. People can't change. They're hopeless. But God knows differently. One of the benefits of being in the ministry is that you get the opportunity to see people change dramatically. Dramatically sometimes in a very short period of time, sometimes over a long period of time. But to see God at work and bringing about significant change in people's life is really awesome and exciting to be a part of. And I want to encourage all of us, never underestimate the power of God in your life or in the life of someone that you know. All things are possible with God. The book of Genesis, quite a bit of it describes the life story of a guy named Jacob Jacob. And from his birth, he was named Jacob, a Hebrew name, which means supplanter, schemer, trickster, "swindler." So if your name is Jacob, now you know what the real meaning of your name is, right? Okay, but that's what his name was. And he lived up to his birth name. I mean, that's who he became, right? He, he tricked his uh, brother out of his own uh, birthright. He deceived his father into thinking he was his brother. He, he also deceived and, and tricked his father-in-law out of his possessions. Not a great guy. But when the angel of the Lord came to him and asked him his name, he, when he replied that his name was Jacob, again, schemer or swindler, the angel replied that he would no longer be known as Jacob, but he would be known as Israel, Prince of God. Imagine, it not only changed Jacob's name, but it changed his heart as well. He was never the same again. And God gave him the new name not because he had become this new person. He gave him the name before he changed. That's what God's up to. You see, those who the world called tax collectors, Jesus calls disciples. Those who are called sinners, Jesus calls companions. Those who are called immoral, Jesus says are forgiven. Those that the world would describe as common fishermen, Jesus called as fishers of men. he, He tells a crucified thief on the cross, no less that his future is going to be as someone who's an heir, an heir of paradise. What names have you been called in your life? What names have you called yourself? Jesus offers you a new lease on life, a new chance in this new year, a new name. A new year is also a time that we can uh, uh, give other people a new chance that we come in contact with. It's a time to try and expect the best from them. If we're going to receive these great gifts from God, a new identity, a new name, certainly we ought to be able to offer the same thing to people that we come in contact with. We're representatives of Christ. That's That's what Christ calls us to do. So to realize that with a little bit of help and trust from you that maybe they could be different. Give people a new chance to begin anew with you. You and I are called to forgive those who sinned against us. If we can't forgive each other, how can we ever expect to receive this incredible love and forgiveness from our God? We serve a God who forgives our mistakes as well as our sins, and he calls us to do the same with others. This is why Jesus warned in the New Testament about calling other people names. He said in Matthew, he said, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, contempt, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. When we call people names, it influences their identity and their future. We're to speak the names that God would want us to speak to and with them. The book of Revelation gives us some really interesting insight. There are times when I read it that I don't quite understand everything that's in the book of Revelation. But it's an image and a picture of what will be in the future when God begins to bring uh, Christ, re- Christ returns again and talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And it also talks in a portion of that scripture, it talks about those whom the world has rejected because they dared to trust in God. It lets us see uh, how they turn out in the end, how God has seen them all along. The people of God who were looked down on by the earth are are now how how they're seen by God. In the world, they're dressed in rags. And and now in Revelation, it describes them as being dressed in white robes and spotless and pure. The world has seen them as losers, but now they're called overcomers. On earth, they were unloved and they lacked respect, but now they're called the chosen of God. And they're loved by Him. I want you to listen to these powerful words of the Lord that are in Revelation. He says, Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will He leave it. I will write on Him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on Him my new name. What powerful images! This is Jesus speaking about our identity in Him after that, he has brought about complete transformation, and we're present with him for all of eternity. Again, we hear the Lord in Revelation, a different passage, say, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Here's the deal. We're not supposed to to settle for the disparaging or the flattering names that the world gives to us. Don't be satisfied with any name or or title that the world wants to give you until you've received your new name by God, the one he has given you and knows you by. All other names are false and frivolous. There's no name better than the one that he has called you. You don't need the accolades of the world. You don't need uh, all that stuff. You need a new name and a new heart given to you by God. Listen to what he's saying to you. Listen for the new name he's calling you in spite of your failures. And believe that everything can change by the power of the new name and the power of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Even when you've lost all confidence in yourself, he has confidence in you for he sees what his spirit will do and is doing in and through you. In the power of Christ, his love is transforming and can make you brand new. Your new name will be assigned to you of the new you. Listen to what God says in Isaiah chapter 45. He says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, You are precious and honored in my sight. I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. God gives each of us a new name when we come to Christ. A new name is a new beginning. And he gives you this new name in the best of his love. In closing this morning, I've got some questions I want us to reflect on. You know, again, the new year is a great time to reflect in our lives. And I've got some questions I want to invite you this morning, maybe later today. They're in the YouVersion app. You can look at them tomorrow if you're off from work as you think about the new year. But some questions for you to think about. First question, can you remember the names you've been called? What were the names and who said it? You know, sometimes the names aren't so good. And so for us to receive healing, we need to be able to identify what are the names that we've been called by others. Second question, what kind of names have you called yourself? Sometimes we're our greatest accuser. What have we said about ourselves that is negative, that's discouraging? Third question, what kind of name would you like for God to call you? What effect would this new name have on your life? It might give you a clue to what God is up to in terms of doing something new in your life. Fourth question, why is it important for us to call other people's names, other people names that heal rather than hurt? You know, what we say to other people is really going to either help build them up or it's going to break them down or discourage them. We're called to to say names that are going to heal. Five, think of some of the people mentioned in Scripture whose names were changed. The names did did not always seem to fit the personality. Why did God do this, and what effect did it have on them? Just some questions I offer to you all to reflect as we go into the new year. But here's the deal. God is always doing new things. Christ has come in the world that we might have a new identity and a new name. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us, in the church and in the world, to bring about this transformation that Christ has begun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for Christ's gift of his life, his coming, God in flesh, his life on earth that pointed us to the Father his sacrificial gift of love through his death on our behalf, and the gift of your love and power through the resurrection. And God, all of this brings about the new things that you're doing, redeeming things, restoring things in our lives and the lives of others. God, we're thankful for the new names that we receive through Christ, the new identity that we have in and through him. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that works in us continually, bringing about transformation into Christ-likeness. And we long for the day when it will be complete and we will be fully whole in and through the redemption of eternity. God, we pray for those that don't yet know Christ, Lord. May they know Christ so that they may experience a new identity as a child of the living God. May they know Christ so they may receive their new name. God help us to live into this new year, in our new identity. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand?